Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. When Pastor Andreas asked me to speak during our summer series on the parables, he first asked if I had this date available. I said, yes, I do. And then he said, I'd like for you to speak on the parable of the bridesmaids in Matthew 25, the parable that we just read. And I smirked. And I I said, Andreas, I, I can't speak on the parable of the bridesmaids. And he said, why not? I said, because the best sermon on the parable has already been given. And it was given by my uncle, John Brunt, right here in this very sanctuary. Clear back in 2006, I was sitting in the audience with my brother beside me. And it's the best sermon that's ever been given on the, on the parable. And I, I just can't do it. I then gave Andreas a synopsis of what my Uncle John had shared during his chapel talk. And Andreas smirked and he said, yeah, you're right, that is the best sermon on the topic. But you have to give it. So it is with appreciation to my uncle that I now share his story. A story that he has given me permission to share. And if John McClarty at Green Lake is right. Plagiarism is the greatest form of flattery in public speaking. So as we start, you need to know one thing. My Uncle John is a Dodger fanatic. The LA Dodgers have been his team for years. John grew up in LA and from a young age was a devoted Dodgers fan. Even while living here in Walla Walla for over 30 years, he followed them with loyalty. John was eventually called back to Southern California as the senior pastor for the Azure Hills SDA Church. While he was there, 
he was reunited with a friend, Dr. Joan Coggin, world-renowned cardiologist. The thing you need to know is that Joan was perhaps an even bigger Dodger fan than my uncle. The great part, she had season tickets to the Dodgers. And not just any regular old general admission ticket. Her tickets, no, they were right behind the Dodger dugout. Often, John was the beneficiary of his friend's generosity and as such enjoyed many Dodger games, just feet from the field. So it was that he found himself in attendance of what he describes as perhaps the greatest game he has ever seen. And for fear you think him hyperbolic, Lee Jenkins, baseball sports writer for the New York Times, at the time called the game the most wonderful game I have ever seen. So let's set the stage. It was toward the end of the 2006 season. Roughly a dozen games remained in regulation play before the playoffs. The Dodgers and the Padres were fighting for top spot in the National League West. This was the final game of a four-game series. At this point, it's important that I tell you that I am a big Padres fan. My uncle is a Dodgers fan, but I am a Padres fan. Having grown up for part of my childhood in San Diego, I know what it's like to root for teams through thick and thin, mostly thin. As a Padres fan, I was watching this game. The Dodgers in this four-game series had taken game one, but the Padres had commandingly taken games two and three. The Padres were top of the standings in the National League West by half a game over the Dodgers. I don't know if you know this about Dodger Stadium, but Dodger fans... They are very loyal until the seventh inning. Dodger Stadium has a reputation of emptying out during the middle of the seventh. Everyone, after they sing, take me out to the ball game, disappears, trying to beat all the LA traffic as they get home. On this particular Monday night, no one would have blamed Dodgers fans for leaving early. By the bottom of the ninth inning, the Padres, they were three outs away from going home just down a few miles south to San Diego with a game and a half lead over the Dodgers in the final standings for the season, with a great chance at making a run at the playoffs. Again, 
no one would have bothered to blame Dodger fans for leaving early. The odds were against them. There was a 99.5% chance that the Dodgers were going to lose this game. You see, in 73 seasons of record keeping, within Major League Baseball, only 213 teams had ever come back to win once they were down by at least four runs going into the ninth inning. Let's put that into perspective. Out of 44,537 games, out of all of those games, only 213 times had a team come back from being down by at least four runs heading into the ninth inning. Besides, Dodgers Stadium is a pitcher's stadium. This game was as good as over. You might as well go home. The game's over. Then this happened. Now you can see it's nine to five. Bottom of the ninth, Padres lead. Zero outs. Jeff Kent is at the plate. I want you to notice all the empty seats as this video rolls. What had been a sold-out crowd earlier in the evening is now a full stadium. And gone. So Jeff Kent comes up with a home run leading off the ninth. His fourth hit of the game. And another drive to deep right center, and that is gone. Whoa, was that hit? So now it is 9-7. Here's a go. A drive into left center by Martin. That ball is carrying into the seats. Three straight home runs. Another drive into high right center at the wall, running and watching it go out. Believe it or not, four consecutive home runs, and the Dodgers have tied it up again. Did you see all the empty seats? That four game series had been a record selling full stadium, capacity crowd, all four games. But bottom of the ninth, game four, down by four runs, a 0.5% chance that the Dodgers could win. And half the seats were empty. Four home runs in a row. A feat so rare, it took 85 years of playing Major League Baseball before that feat ever happened once. Major League Baseball started in 1876. The first time it happened was 1961. And by the time it happened in 2006, it had only happened two other times prior. The fourth time in Major League Baseball history, four home runs hit in a row. Back to back to back to back home runs. 
with the score tied. The game headed into extra innings. Now my Padres, they scored another run in the top of the 10th. I was watching the game at home here in College Place, thinking this is where they put the Dodgers away. But while I, the Padres fan, was watching from home, my uncle, the true Dodger fan, was at the game. He stayed late. He did not go home at the middle of the seventh. He did not go home at the top of the ninth. He stayed. And late on a Monday night, he was rewarded with this. And a high fly ball to left field. It is a way out and gone. The Dodgers win it 11 to 10. Oh, unbelievable. The immortal voice of Vince Scully, unbelievable. Nomar Garcia Parra, who had thought about taking himself out of the lineup due to a nagging injury to his quadricep, steps to the plate. And at 11.05 p.m., not quite midnight like our bridegroom, but still pretty late, delivered a two-run home run to win the game. And with that win, my uncle's Dodgers, who that year ranked second to last in home runs in the National League, leapfrogged my Padres and took the top spot in the National League West. To paraphrase our text today from Matthew 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Baseball fans went to a National League West divisional baseball game between the LA Dodgers and the San Diego Padres on September 17th, 2006. Some fans were foolish and some were wise. The true fans, the wise fans, stuck it out to the very end, but the foolish fans left early where they were stuck in traffic and could only listen to the radio as they heard one of the greatest comebacks in baseball history. Jesus tells the parable of the bridesmaids to teach us that true fans stick it out. True fans are the ones who are prepared to go the distance. They don't bail out because they're bored or they have other stuff to do. They are there to support the groom through thick and thin. They are committed and they are ready. The true fans stick around while the fair-weather fans leave early. When my uncle shared his chapel talk in this sanctuary all those years ago, my brother sitting next to me, also a Padres fan, leaned over to me and he said, I finally get that parable. He went on to say, I always thought that the bridegroom was just being a jerk. 
to not let those bridesmaids back in. You see, the main point of the parable is about constant preparedness. It's about complete commitment. We already know the various elements of the parable carry obvious allegorical significance. The bridegroom is Jesus Christ, just as the delayed coming of the groom is the delayed second coming of Jesus. The wise and foolish bridesmaids are faithful and unfaithful followers of Jesus. And the final scene of the parable symbolizes the final judgment of humanity. I want to take a side note here for just a moment, though, and say, I believe we go too far if we try to find comparisons for daily living within the wise bridesmaids' hoarding of their oil. This story is not about generosity of heart. Remember, Jesus also commanded that we give to all who ask of us. Instead, within this parable, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like what happens to the bridesmaids. It's not about the bridesmaids as individuals. The wise bridesmaids can only be faithful and committed for themselves. Their commitment is only enough for them. It is not for anyone else. We cannot carry or smuggle anyone into the kingdom with us. The wise are prepared for the long haul. They are ready when the groom arrives. The foolish are too busy trying to prepare late in the game because they weren't personally invested to begin with. Perhaps they were there out of obligation. Maybe they had some sort of uh, you know, social pressure to be there. Maybe it was a hired gig. I don't know. Perhaps it was something else entirely. But whatever the reason, they couldn't be bothered to prepare. The foolish bridesmaids are the fans who leave at the middle of the seventh inning after, take, after singing, take me out to the ball game. The peanuts and Cracker Jacks have all been eaten and they've got other stuff to do. When that happens... They miss the amazing and miraculous comeback. I really have to pause right here. And I have to say that I am guilty of this. You see, my family and I, we are season ticket holders to the Walla Walla Suites, our local baseball team here in the Valley. And we love going to games. But my friend Yvonne Stratton is going to point out that I regularly leave after singing, take me out to the ball game. The seventh inning stretch, the stadium empties out, and I'm one of those people that leaves. My excuse, every single time, I have children that have a bedtime. So what must I admit in this confession. Yvonne is a better sweets fan than I am. Because if it's true. 
that real fans stick to the end. They have to do it every time. If it's true then that real fans stay, the true fans of Jesus are committed for the long haul. It doesn't matter if his coming is delayed. Even when the statisticians and odds makers say it can't be won, the true fans respond with a resounding, wait and see, wait and see. The true fans of Jesus are steadfast. Even when the world says you're a fool, you're wasting your time, you've been waiting so long, it's all just a myth anyway. Jesus fans respond with a resounding, wait and see, wait and see. And they do it with a smirk because there's no anxiety in waiting for the game to end because they know the game is already won. Jesus wins. And this would be a fantastic place to wrap up this sermon. I admit that. It feels right to end knowing that Jesus is, is, is already won. That he has this one in the win column. But I would be remiss to simply let this be the end. Years ago, here at Walla Walla University, my homiletics teacher, who also just happens to be my Uncle John, challenged each and every one of us to always deliver the good news. The fact that Jesus is coming again is indeed good news. It's good news to you, and it's good news to me, those of us that find ourselves within the fold. But Jesus doesn't just end his parables in Matthew 25 with the parable of the bridesmaids. No, he continues the trifecta of parables, and he finishes it with the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus wants us to not only hear the good news, he wants us to also be the good news. Jesus doesn't just want us to hear the good news, he wants us to be the good news. Jesus, in the last parable of the trilogy, tells us that his true fans, his true followers, will feed the hungry give drink to the thirsty, provide shelter to the stranger, clothe the naked, take care of the sick, and visit the imprisoned. Jesus closes the parable of the bridesmaids by saying the foolish bridesmaids don't get in because the groom doesn't know them. Jesus then closes the parable of the sheep and the goats by telling us there will come a day when the fair weather fans of Jesus will look at him and wonder, what's the big deal? He will then send them away because they didn't see the need. In essence, they don't know him. They don't get it because they don't know the bridegroom. And that's why they don't care to prepare. So today, 
as we close, this is the good news. Jesus is coming soon. The game is already won. Jesus only asks that our commitment to him be steadfast. And while we wait, he asks that we make sure we bring mercy, justice, and peace to a world that desperately needs us to be his hands and feet. Who among us needs mercy? Who in the headlines needs justice? Who among our neighbors needs peace? If we are true fans, true followers, we will be creative in the way we interact with the ones Jesus called the least of these. And by doing so, we will introduce them to the one who loves them and is coming back for them. We may be tempted to believe that we are the least of these, that pressures on being a Christian might make us believe that there's a war on Christianity. There's always been a war on Christianity. This world fell because of a war on Christ. That's not our concern and that's not our worry. Our call, our task, our charge is to be the hands and feet of Jesus and let him worry about all else. So, may we all be true fans. May we be wise bridesmaids. And as we wait for the bridegroom to come, let us do it well. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you are joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.